Welcome back to another episode of the Hockey Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Will. In today's episode, I'm going to be going over some trade rumors, uh, World Junior stuff, injuries, signings, and other stuff that's gone on. Basically, all of the big news that's come out over the last week or so. Starting off this podcast, I'm going to be talking about Jacob Chikrin and his trade rumors. Now, Jacob Chikrin is a pretty uh, big name that's been spun around rumor mills and, and all sorts of different things about him wanting out or him being traded from the Coyotes. He's still fairly young. Um, like I said, the trade rumors have been heating up for a while. The Coyotes, though, have come out and said that if they do are going to trade him that the asking price is pretty high they said at least a first round pick plus a second and some players whether that be roster players or prospects or anyone whoever they add into into the deal it has to have at least a first and a second maybe more picks depending on how good the players that are being included in the trade are Some of the teams that I see could be interested and have been noted as possibly interested in Jacob Chikrin are Los Angeles Kings, Detroit Red Wings, Maple Leafs, and I threw in the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, when I was making the script for this podcast, I threw in the Lightning um, because the Lightning always go at at big, big name people at the deadline trying to make that Stanley Cup push. It's worked well for them in the past. I have seen some things, though, that they they probably aren't going to do that this year. They're not an uh, insane team. They're still pretty good. They're probably going to make the playoffs. But they aren't that Stanley Cup caliber team, in my mind, like they have been the last couple of seasons. So making a big addition like Jacob Chikrin, especially with his cap hit, wouldn't really help the lightning it might help them this year it probably would help them this year but especially going into next year after their season ends this year uh, no matter when it is it is going to be straight cap hell for the tampa bay lightning i saw a thing where they have next next year they have 10 million dollars in cap space and seven forwards and four or five defensemen under contract with only $10 million in cap space at this point. So they're going to have to make a lot of moves and trading for a guy like Jacob Chikrin is probably not the move. Jacob Chikrin is a very good defenseman. He was hurt at the beginning of this year, but has five goals, 13 assists in 20 games since coming back. And those stats are as of this podcast being recorded Friday, January 6th. So five goals, 13 assists in 20 games, puts them at 18 points in 20 games on a not great Arizona Coyotes team. uh, They're most definitely not going to make the playoffs. They are in contention for a top pick again. So if they are going full tank mode right now and going for a franchise guy like Connor Bedard, uh, getting rid of Chikrin would help them because he is one of the good players on that uh, not very good Arizona Coyotes team. So I put in the Lightning. I don't think that the Lightning will trade for him. The Maple Leafs are a team that have that are in their Stanley Cup window right now. All their players uh, are basically in their prime right now. Early, mid-prime, I'd say. Matthews, Marner, Nylander 
Tavares is at the end of his career, but he's still doing pretty well for them. But right now, the worst position for them is not forward, although I think Elliot Friedman reported that the Maple Leafs at the deadline are prioritizing adding a scoring winger. So another guy that can score probably second, third line. And real quick, I'm not going to talk about him today in this podcast. Look for the next podcast episode to have Brock Besser trade rumors. I wasn't going to fit it in this one. It'd be a super long podcast if I did. But Brock Besser, I think if they could make the cap work, could be good for the Maple Leafs. That's not... I'm not talking about that right now. I'm just saying that if the Maple Leafs are looking to prioritize adding a scoring winger, I think adding Brock Besser would be beneficial for everyone. Now, getting back to Jacob Chikrin, the Maple Leafs are one of the teams that I think could really go after Chikrin if they feel like their defense and their goaltending is subpar, which I know most people, including me, think it is. Right now, if their decor was fully healthy, they would be fine. Right now, Muzzin, Brody, and Morgan Riley, so Jake Muzzin, TJ Brody, Morgan Riley, are all out with injuries right now. I don't know how much longer. I know Muzzin's on, on IR. Brody, I'm not sure about, and Morgan Riley, I know, is out for an indefinite period of time. So right now, Arguably, their three best defensemen are all down and out. So, after I think it was they put Riley on IR, they traded for Connor Timmins from the, uh, no, Coyotes, I believe. They traded for Connor Timmins from the Arizona Coyotes, but Connor Timmins isn't really a guy that can replace a Morgan Riley or a Jake Muzzin. He can come in and play TJ Brody's spot, but. He's not going to be a number one guy for you. So Rasmus Sandin, Connor Timmins are guys that are playing big roles for them right now, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. They're both young players who are getting plenty of experience, but they're not really ready for playing a number one defenseman role. That's where Jacob Chikrin comes in. I think the Maple Leafs can obviously still look for a number one defenseman with some of their best defensemen being out right now. And defensive goaltending have been the worst for them so far. Offensive is fine. You got Matthews. You got Marner. You got Nylander. You got Tavares. You have all those pieces. But the back end, the defense, the goaltending haven't been very good. I know Samsonov and uh, Matt Murray, I think. I forget who their other goalie is. I'm blanking on it right now. I know Ilya Samsonov though. He is still a he's still a young goalie and he's still someone I really think highly of. I was really surprised when the Capitals let him go in free agency and I thought it was a good signing for the Maple Leafs, but obviously it doesn't help your goalies when you don't have when all of your best defensemen are out and you don't really have anyone um, that notable to step in their place. So I think if they can make the cap work with Jacob Chikrin. Maybe they move out some of their um, bigger contracts that add a couple picks. You know, I think that the Maple Leafs could make it work. Now, the Coyotes have a very high asking price, like I said before, so I don't know 
if the Maple Leafs and Kyle Dubas are willing to give up all that for a defenseman who is young, is in his prime, but I just don't I just don't know a hundred percent if Kyle Dubas is gonna pull the trigger on that. I don't know if he's gonna give up all those picks. Maybe a prospect, maybe a roster player for Jacob Chikrin right now. I think that if he feels like they're going to be fine and they have these guys coming off IR soon and coming back soon, I could see Kyle Dubas not pulling the trigger even if they have a trade lined up. So really, it comes down to obviously what Kyle Dubas thinks. Personally, I think Adam Jacob Chikrin to the Toronto Maple Leafs would help them immensely, especially with very good offensive teams in the league like the Boston Bruins, like the Tampa Bay Lightning, um, Florida, all those offensive heavy teams not having defensemen and the Maple Leafs might not end up playing Boston in the first round, but if they do and their defensive and their defense isn't isn't solid then they might be in trouble because that Boston offense is very very hot right now so I think it's a good idea for the Maple Leafs to pull the trigger on Jacob Chikrin if they can but obviously it's in the hands of Kyle Dubas and it's up to his discretion so I think they should and I think there are a couple other people that I've seen around that should but who knows if they are actually going to. The Los Angeles Kings now is another team that I have seen possibly be interested in Jacob Chikrin. Obviously, it's another team that doesn't have the cap space right now, but the one thing that the Kings have that the Maple Leafs don't, they're very, very rich in prospects, especially right defensemen, prospects and right defensemen right now in general. Jacob Chikrin plays the left side. You give up a first and a second, a roster right side defenseman, and a low-end prospect. If that gets it done, I think the Kings should do that trade in a heartbeat. I think that having a left-handed guy like Jacob Chikrin with a guy like Drew Doughty and the team that the Kings have right now I think they're a couple pieces away from being a very a team that could make a run in the playoffs. Right now, their defense and their depth is a little questionable just because their roster is littered with prospects and young players. They don't have the experience right now. But who knows? Like right now they could make a run into the playoffs, but I think that you're better off with a guy like Jacob Chikrin on your back end, especially having those prospects and having those picks from not making the playoffs for a couple years and building up all those prospects. Now they have a surplus of right defensemen. And they have guys that I think, if I was the Kings GM, that I'd be willing to trade away. Guys like Ajax Alifalo, Sean Walker. Ajax Alifalo has a $4 million contract. Sean Walker has a $2.7 million contract. Are you are you really going to notice that much of a difference if you trade Sean Walker and add Jacob Chikrin? No, you're going to see you're going to see an increase. You're going to see that your team is probably doing better. 
Alex I Alex Iafalo is one of the guys that has been around the Kings for quite a while and one of their consistent guys. So I don't know if I see them trading him per se, but he's one of the names that have been thrown around in Jacob Chicken rumors. Um, that the Kings could look to trade to make cap room for Jacob Chikrin. Another guy that I've seen being thrown around for prospects that the Kings could add in is Jordan Spence. He was a fourth-round pick, and he's turned into a promising, a promising prospect. So I think adding a guy like that, and I don't know, he he's probably like in the middle with the prospects they have. He's not making the roster right now but I think on a team like Arizona obviously they're looking for prospects so add Jordan Spence add a player that frees up cap space with a couple picks I think the Kings are another team that would benefit greatly from having Jacob Chikrin on their roster and personally I'd like to see him go to the Kings I think he'd do well in the Maple Leafs too but personally I think the Kings are the team that I would like to see him traded to the most. Obviously, the Kings being in the Western Conference makes it a little less likely just because the Coyotes don't want to play him super often. All the other teams are East Coast teams or Eastern Conference teams. So I don't know if they're not in the same division anymore. When the Kraken came in, Arizona went to the Central. So they're not playing him as much but they're still in the western conference so it's still i don't know to some teams it matters i don't really think it matters that much but some teams do i'd like to see him go to the kings let's move on to the next team the last team that i have down over here is the detroit red wings another eastern team where they have a solid right side but their left side isn't as strong they have Ben Sherratt, and then it's a cliff between Ben Sherratt and their next defenseman. The other reason the Detroit Red Wings are a good team that I think could trade for Jacob Chikrin is because they have $8.2 million in cap space. Now, that alone, they don't have to give up any they don't have to give up any roster players to clear cap or the Coyotes retain salary. So that right there is a bonus that the Red Wings have against any other team. Obviously, the Detroit Red Wings are another team that haven't been good for a while, so they have plenty of prospects. Some of the names that I've seen thrown around, Joe Valino, Marco Casper, Philip Zadina, William Wallander. Um, those are some of the things. I don't think they're trading Marco Casper or William Wallander. Zadina, Valino, maybe it depends on how bad they think they need defense and not offense. Another guy that if the Coyotes are willing to take, which I don't think the Coyotes would want to take, is Jacob Verana. I'm talk I'm gonna talk about him later in this episode, but Jacob Verana is a guy who could be used in a trade, who might be used in a trade regardless if it's for Jacob Chikrin or not um, we're gonna have to see on that one I don't really have any idea of where Verona could go if anyone any team even wants him with his cap 
the other the Red Wings also have two second round picks in the upcoming draft, so they could obviously package one of those with a with a first probably. The one thing though that came up when I was doing research for this part of the episode, Stevie Y, Steve Eisman, the general manager of the Detroit Red Wings, doesn't like to use first round picks as trades. He likes to keep his first round picks. He likes to trade for first round picks. But he doesn't usually like to give up first round picks. So if the Coyotes are dead set on having a first round pick coming back in the Jacob Chikrin trade, it's going to be another instance of a GM having to make a hard decision. Do you trade your first do you trade a first round pick? Something you're totally against doing usually or and get a really really good young defenseman on a young team that's looking really promising or do you kind of take a gamble and see what you get out of that first round pick if you're a good team if you make the playoffs and you get out in the first round if you're on the edge if you just barely miss the playoffs that first round pick isn't going to be as good as if you were a bottom team or or if you made the playoffs and you went on a deep playoff run that's because right now the red wings the red wings have too good of a roster to tank and get a top pick so i don't know who they would get in the middle 10 to 20 range if they miss the playoffs but I think you're not going to find a guy in that range like Jacob Chikrin. So trading a first round pick plus one of your seconds, if you trade a first and a second rounder, you'll still have a second round pick. So again, I'd rather have Jacob Chikrin, but I'm not Stevie Eiserman. So that decision is totally up to him. But that's all I have for the Jacob Chikrin trade rumors. This next one that we're going to look at is Bo Horvat. Obviously, I'm not going to get super in-depth right now with Bo Horvat because the trade rumors for him have just started to surface. I guess they haven't started. I guess they haven't just started to come up. They've been coming up. But I just wanted to mention Bo Horvat for a minute because it came out that Vancouver wants to extend him and made him an offer of somewhere in the seven million dollar range but he rejected so does Bo Horvat want to stay in Vancouver I don't I don't know Vancouver did make an offer somewhere in the seven million dollar range I don't know what the years were they made him an offer somewhere in the seven million dollar range my guess is he's looking for Eight plus, that's my guess. I th- I'm pretty sure that Bo Horvat is looking for eight plus million dollars on a five plus uh, five plus year contract. Now, if the Canucks were to trade him, obviously they'd be looking to get back young players, ideally centers or right-handed defensemen. So, a young center that can go behind Pedersen. I'm assuming they have him playing at center. I haven't really. I haven't looked. I think they're playing him at center. But picks, prospects, 
ideally centers a right-handed defenseman. You should get a lot out of trading Bo Horvat, I would assume, especially to a contending team that's looking for a guy like Bo, Bo Horvat to just push push them over the edge. One of the teams like that is the Colorado Avalanche. Now, the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup last year. They had a very good roster. One of the major pieces that left them in the offseason was Nazem Kadri. Kadri obviously played a huge role in the Colorado Avalanche system. He was playing second-line center behind either McKinnon or Landis Cog. I'm not sure which they had playing center, but it was one of those two. And then they had Burkovsky, Kadri, and it was a mix of players playing that right side, but it all ended up working out. Nazem Kadri leaves. They have young players, young centers, like Alex Newhook, that they think can just slide in and finally take a big step, but they have not performed very well, those second-line centers, Alex Newhook in particular. I am really high on Alex Newhook. I was really excited for this season to watch him and see if he can finally... I mean, the Avalanche gave him this opportunity to take his game to the next level and give him that second-line center role. He has not performed like they were hoping, and I think that's the big reason why they're not doing as well as they were last year. Last year, they were on a tear. Nazem Kadri was huge for them. He had a lot of points. He was very reliable in that second-line center role. And I think Bo Horvat is another guy that can slide into that second-line center role and just play extremely well and get you a lot of points. Alex Newhook right now isn't getting a lot of points. He's a good player. He's a good playmaker, but he's not getting the points relative to the amount of minutes that he's getting on ice per night. So I think the Colorado Avalanche are a team that are looking at Bo Horvat and saying, if we slide him in that second line center role, then we're a complete team again. Then we're a Stanley Cup contender again. And if they're, if the right trade is out there and they can make a trade work without giving up uh, roster players or really good prospects... I think the Avalanche are going to do it, and I think they're going to try to re-sign him too. Obviously, they have, I th- I'm pretty sure they have some guys coming up that they're going to have to get re-signed. I know they already extended McCarr, they extended McKinnon, they extended Taves, they got Manson back, so <clears throat> they're not going to have much cap space. And they're still going to have some guys to resign. If the Colorado Avalanche trade for Bo Horvat, they're definitely going to look to extend him and get him to stay in Colorado for a while. I think that that's a great fit. And I think that the Avalanche become the favorites to win the Stanley Cup again if they add Bo Horvat. Some other teams that uh, I've seen in, in rumors and mock trades and stuff are Boston and Toronto. The problem with them is, well, there's really no problem, but they're both rich in center depth. You could put them to the wing, but Bo Horvat is a very good center. The Bruins have Bergeron, Krejci, Coyle, and they have a mix of guys playing that fourth line spot depending who's in and who's out. 
you're not going to push Krejci to the wing. You're not going to push Krejci down to the third line and push Coyle down to the fourth line. That's just not going to happen. So personally, with the way the Bruins are playing right now and the guys that they have on their roster, I think that there's zero need whatsoever for them to trade for Bo Horvat. Um, they don't really have a spot for him in the roster. That's that's basically it. It's the same way with Toronto. They have Matthews, they have Tavares, and Bo Horvat's too good to play third line center. Plus they have, I forget who they have playing third line center. I know it's been rotating, but they're not, Tavares isn't playing third line center, and neither is Bo Horvat. So if you're trading for a guy like that, a guy like Bo Horvat who's good and who's commanding a lot of money because he deserves it for the way he's been playing, you're not putting him on the third line. And you're not putting John Tavares, who's making close to $10 million, I think, if it's if it's not above $10 million, you're not pushing him to the third line. So unless they trade for a guy like Bo Horvat to be that scoring winger, if they move him to the wing, then... Maybe that's happening, but I think that the Maple Leafs should spend the deadline improving on places like defense, like in the Jacob Chicken rumors. I just think that they have a better, that they have, they need defensemen more than they need forwards, if that makes sense. So that's my take on Bo Horvat right now. I know there's not that much to it, but I just think that Colorado makes the most sense if they can make the cap space work. And if he does get traded to Colorado, look for him to get extended. The last trade rumor that I am going to talk about right now that I'm going to go super in-depth on is not really a trade rumor, but more of a, I don't know, news news thing. Ryan Merkley, defenseman for the San Jose Sharks, recently, I think two days ago, requested a trade from the San Jose Sharks. Ryan Merkley was a 2018 first-round pick, got selected 21st overall, and he recently asked for a trade, and San Jose has made him available for trade per Elliott Friedman, I believe. Last year, he had 6 points in 39 NHL games, and this year he has 14 points in 30 AHL games. Right now, the San Jose Sharks have their 2018 first-round pick playing in the AHL. So, that's kind of crazy to me, especially with how good Ryan Merkley was talked about in that 2018 draft class. Since 2018, Ryan Merkley has not made the roster out of camp. That was one of the things that was noted in the article that I read. He hasn't yet made the Sharks roster out of camp. So last year when he played in 39 NHL games, he was called up from the San Jose Barracuda. Another interesting piece to this is they've had some injuries to their decor, the Sharks have. And they have Merkley sitting in the AHL, but they've decided to call up Nick Siek, I believe is how you say his name, who's an undrafted free agent, and he's been called up twice over the course of this season. He's been called up twice over Ryan Merkley, and the article that I read stated that 
he had almost been leapfrogged in the depth chart in their roster. So right now there's an undrafted guy who the San Jose Sharks signed playing over their 2018 first round pick basically. So obviously things aren't going right for either sides. The Sharks want him to play better. Ryan Merkley wants more time in the NHL and I think it's I think it's deserved. 39 NHL games last year, 6 points. Yeah, obviously that wasn't good. But I think 39 NHL games isn't enough for Ryan Markley. I think that he if you give him if you give him more time, I think he will blossom into a good, a solid NHL defenseman. So a fresh start for Ryan Markley would be beneficial for the Sharks and for Markley. The Sharks would be able to get a decent return. I'm thinking maybe a second second round pick, maybe a third and a fourth. I don't think that they're going to get I mean, maybe they get a low-end prospect back, but I think a second-round pick for Ryan Markley right now would be a win for the San Jose Sharks. How much they get back depends on what the rest of the NHL thinks of Ryan Markley. If the rest of the NHL thinks like I think and say that since 2018, he hasn't had enough time to play in the NHL to really grow to his full potential, then I think some teams are going to jump on that. If they think that Ryan Markley might be a bust, then they're not going to get as much back. But I think at most, they're going to get a second round pick out of him just because of how little teams know about him and how he's going to perform in the NHL. So Ryan Markley's a guy to keep an eye on. Since that's come out, not really much else. Things will probably start to heat up again towards the deadline. But other than that, that's that's kind of it for Ryan Merkley. <clears throat> moving on to the moving out of the rumor space, we're going to go to recent signings and contract extensions that have happened around the couple uh, around the NHL. There have been some notable ones. There haven't been very many. There's been three notable ones. I'm going to get to the uh, most notable one last. St. Louis uh, extended goaltender Joel Hofer for two years at 775k per year so that's a that's just a good deal for st louis they get a young goalie locked up for two more years have him be a backup in the nhl have him learn from jordan bennington and he could be either a very good backup or a reliable uh, starting goaltender in the nhl the second one the New York Rangers extended Jimmy VC for two years at 800k. Jimmy VC coming out of the draft was a highly touted prospect. Went was with the Buffalo Sabers, uh, moved around to a couple different teams. I believe he's on the Leafs at one point, but he never really panned out like everyone thought he would. Now he's a solid third, fourth line guy. He's gonna go out there, give it all he's got, and. He's just going to be a solid bottom six guy for you got for your team. So the Rangers extending him for two more years at 800k. I don't mind the contract. Obviously, it's not that much if they just bury it in the AHL. If it ends up, I mean, how is an 800k contract going to end up being bad if it's just a bottom six player? So 
that's a good deal for the Rangers. The most notable one, the Dallas Stars extended Joe Pavelski for one year at $3.5 million. Joe Pavelski's older. He's 37, I believe. This year, he has 12 goals and 37 points and 38 games for the Stars. So he is having just about a point-per-game season with the Dallas Stars. He got signed out of free agency by the Dallas Stars a couple years ago from the San Jose Sharks. And he's been very good for the Stars since they signed him. His contract was up this year. They liked how he was playing. And he's a veteran now. So another year at $3.5 million for a point-per-game player. Out on the open market and free agency, you're not going to find a point-per-game player, even a veteran, for $3.5 million. For $3.5 million. I think... More than one year would be a little much for Joe Pavelski just because of his age. So I think the one-year deal for 3.5 is good. Um, It says something about Dallas a little bit, I think, because if a point-per-game player, an older one, is re-signing with you for a considerable pay cut than what he would get on the open market, if Joe Pavelski went to free agency, he could probably fetch 5 or $6 million on a one- or two-year contract. But it's obviously he took a pay cut. He likes it in Dallas. Dallas is very good with Jason Robertson, Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn, Joe Pavelski. They're all playing well. So obviously he likes it there, and it's a very good signing, a very good value signing for the Dallas Stars. Some other news that has come up within the recent weeks one of the big ones that i talked about a little bit earlier jacob verana was placed on waivers out of recently coming out of the nhl players association players assistance program so a player gets put in that program when they are dealing with something like an addiction or mental health stuff or things like that it hasn't come out what he was put in the player assistance program for but it was known that he was put in the program and he recently came out after coming out the red wings put him on an ahl conditioning stint he's played three games in the ahl and he hasn't recorded a point yet he was signed to a two-year, $5.25 million contract last offseason, and he was put on waivers after going pointless in the AHL, like I said, and this is kind of a bizarre one. He came out, no one knew what it was for, and then all of a sudden the Red Wings put him on waivers. So obviously there's something going on um, where he might not be the same player that he was, obviously a $5 million player in the AHL. I mean, the NHL should not go pointless in three games in the AHL, but maybe he needs more time. He was put on waivers and he cleared waivers. So now the Red Wings can decide if they put him back in the AHL or they want to keep him up in the NHL. If he cleared waivers, obviously the Red Wings were looking for someone to pick him up. If no one picks him up, I highly, highly doubt that any NHL team is going to trade for him. Maybe if there was a trade out there, if there was a 
not a blockbuster trade, but a player coming back to Detroit where some salary needed to be shed. Maybe Verona gets put in that trade, but they might just end up buying him out or burying the contract in the AHL. They're not strapped for cash right now. They have $8.2 million, so it's not like they need the money for anything. But it's just an it's just a weird situation. It's it sucks because Verana's a Verana's a very, very good player. He was before uh, all this happened, so I hope the best for him and I hope that he ends up playing and going back to Nor- and going back to how he was before all this happened. Um I am not really sure if I see them trying him in the NHL again, maybe trying to trade him or putting him back in the AHL. I would personally put him back in the NHL just because why not? I mean, why not, right? So that's really all I have on him. Let's see. UC Soros, I think it was last night. Yeah, it was last night, Thursday night. UC Soros made a franchise record 64 saves in their 5-3 win over the Hurricanes. The total shots for that night was 67 to 25 Hurricanes. So in three periods of play, the Hurricanes put up almost 70 shots on the Nashville Predators. They dominated play, and they still lost. They lost 5-3. to three. So... UC Soros stood on his head. The Hurricanes couldn't find a way to score more than three goals. And that's just a crazy that's just a crazy stat. The last time I saw a shot total that high was when the Columbus Blue Jackets went into like three overtimes in the playoffs last year. And they had like almost 90 shots. But I've never seen a shot total that high in regulation. That just so shows how dominant the Carolina Hurricanes can be this year. The last one that I have and can kind of be grouped in to talking about the World Juniors. I'm just going to start off by saying the World Juniors was successful, I think. there was one. There's one instance in the World Juniors that faltered and I think is going to be left questioned by a lot of people for a while and obviously I think everyone knows what I'm talking about the controversial goal that was called back for the for the United States in the semis against Canada but without going into that right now I just want to talk about how how good Connor Bedard is he is close to two years younger than every single player he's playing against and he's still dominating he had nine goals 14 assists for 23 points in seven games he had 23 points in seven games which is nine more nine more than the next closest guy which was logan cooley for the united states had seven seven and 14 seven goals seven assists for 14 points in seven games, which is still outstanding. But having 23 points in seven games is just absolutely ridiculous. This guy is going to be a problem coming into the NHL. And I think right now the Chicago Blackhawks have the best odds at landing him. So personally, I want to see him go to the Blackhawks. 
I think that he would fit in well in a big city, especially after Taves and Kane might be leaving or might be some of the last season in Chicago. Old Era leaves, New Era comes in with Connor Bedard. I think that'd be a good story, and I think that Connor Bedard would do well in Chicago. He set all sorts of records for World Juniors players. He passed Jordan Eberle for the most World Junior goals. He passed Eric Lindros for most World Junior points with 32. The crazy thing about that, he did it in eight less games. So Connor Bedard passed the point record for most points in world junior in uh like world juniors i don't know how to explain it but he eric lindros had 31 points in the world juniors that he played in and Connor bedard has 32 now and he got 32 in eight less games than eric lindros got 31 that's insane eric lindros was a great player in the nhl Connor bedard is going to be absolutely crazy in the nhl I'm very excited to see that, and I hope the Blackhawks get him. Now, the only falter, the only falter that I think the World Juniors had this year was the controversial goal called back for the United States. The States were down 3-2 in the middle of the second period. I, I think if if you don't know which goal I'm talking about, just look up United States World Juniors goal, controversial goal that got called back. It was originally called a goal, Canada challenges, they rule it goaltender interference, which I know and I've seen that the goaltender interference rules for the NHL is different than World Juniors. They have a different set of rules, but... I don't think in either that is goaltender interference by any means. That goal changed the entire game. If they score that, if the States score that and tie it up 3-3 to in the middle of the second period, they have all the momentum. Plus, they were dominating. I think they lost 6-2, to and they still, um, out, they still outshot the Canadians. So, that's just crazy. I think that if they... I saw a video where after the goal got called off, you could see in the posture and the heads hanging on the on the state side that that just that just absolutely killed them. It it would have tied the state the game at three. U.S. would have had all the momentum, and they just took away the goal, and the states weren't the same after that. I I really don't think that that is goaltender interference and. The reason why it's questionable, not just that it wasn't goaltender interference, was because a lot of people were saying that goal gets called back when the World Juniors is in Canada and they go on to win the gold. Some people were saying that's a little it's a little weird. Maybe some home cooking going on. I don't know. I don't think it's like that. I think it's just poor judgment on the ref side. But I don't really know. I don't think that that was goaltender interference. I think the game should have been tied at three. And personally, after that, the States might have won that game because they were outplaying Canada by a lot. Canada ends up going on to play the world, uh, the gold medal round against Czech, 
and they win 3-2 in overtime. So they they win the they win the golden overtime. It was a good game. I don't know if anyone watched it, but it was a good game. Uh, Connor Bedard, even when he doesn't score, he still puts on highlight real plays after highlight real plays. The United States ended up winning the bronze eight to seven over Sweden in overtime. So both games went to overtime. The goaltenders didn't really do much in the bronze medal game, but it was an exciting game to watch. I always like high scoring games. I think everyone does. So that was a fun game to watch, especially going into overtime. After that, the only stuff that I have left is the other news about the gold about the world juniors let's see Shane Wright I think earlier today Friday January 6th was reassigned by the Kraken to the OHL after the world juniors now on Elliot Friedman's 32 thoughts podcast I know he he basically predicted this he said the Seattle Kraken when this was all going down when Shane Wright was not getting any minutes they sent him to the AHL for a conditioning state. He plays really well. Elliot Friedman said this. He said, I think that the Seattle Kraken, what the Seattle Kraken should do, they let him go and they let him go play in the World Juniors. Then he comes back and they send him back to the OHL for another season. And that's exactly what happened. I did look at it. It is pretty common for rookies to go back to juniors after getting drafted. It's very rare that a guy comes out of the draft, even in the first round, even high picks, to come right out of the draft and make the team and make a huge impact. So what Elliot Friedman said was Shane Wright needed to gain his confidence back. So by playing in the world juniors and playing well, by going back to juniors and playing and playing well, We'll give him his confidence back and give him give him more time to develop because he lost a year in juniors due to COVID. His season got he missed a whole season in the OHL due to due to COVID. So sending him back for another year was the right play all along. He played less than nine games in the NHL, so it doesn't burn a contract year. They signed him to his entry level contract. He played less than nine games, so they're sending him to the OHL this year, and next year he'll still have three full three full years left on his contract. So he'll be all set there. So him going back to juniors, tearing it up in juniors, playing well in the World Juniors tournament will will boost his confidence a lot. I think if he plays well, it'll boost his confidence a lot. Get his his skills his skills up and um mostly just his confidence if he comes back and after playing really well i think that the kraken will have no no choice but to put him in the top six which will give him chance for success in the nhl so putting him back in juniors and letting him go to the world junior tournament great move by the kraken i think if they kept if they brought him back to the nhl didn't send him the juniors Probably would have been a mistake, especially if they just kept him on the third line getting seven minutes a night. That's my take on it. Last couple things I have. Injury report. Jake DeBrusque, lower body injury, put on LTIR, expected to be out at least four weeks. Caden Gooley, Montreal Canadiens, out eight weeks with a knee injury. So Caden Gooley, Canadians aren't the greatest team. I think 
take having Caden Gooley take all the time he needs to come back and make sure it heals right is going to be the most important thing here. I don't think they're going to rush him back. He's very good for the Canadians right now. He's a very good young defenseman that they have. There's no need to rush him back, especially for them not really contending for a playoff spot. Jake DeBrusque, that's one for the next four weeks at least is going to hurt the Bruins. He scored both their goals in the Winter Classic to win them the game over the Penguins. He has been very solid for them. They, After they fired Bruce Cassidy, the new coach comes in, puts him up on the first line, and he's just been tearing it up. Jake DeBrusque, uh, I know he last year wanted to be traded out of Boston. No longer is the case. So not having Jake DeBrusque is going to hurt the Bruins for a while because he was one of their big goal scorers. They're going to need Taylor Hall to step up. They're going to need um, Pasta to keep playing well. They're going to need all their guys to, they're going to have to have some young guys step up. And I'm excited to see because the Bruins are a very good team. That's all I have for this episode of the Hockey Talk podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. I think there should be whatever this this episode was supposed to come out Friday, January 6th, the day that I'm recording this episode, but I wanted to wait till Saturday to post this episode and Friday to record it because I wanted to wait for the World Juniors to end so that I could um, talk about the uh, who won gold, who won bronze, who won silver. The Basically, I didn't want to post this podcast and finish all of the recording with uh, one or two games or the most important games for the World Juniors being left to be played. So that is it for this episode. Not next Friday, Friday after that. Should be another episode out. I post every two weeks or on every two weeks, every Friday of every two weeks, I post an episode. So two Fridays from now should be a new episode out. I hope you all come back to listen. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast and have a good day.